Thanks for downloading or purchasing this sermon from Christchurch Forward. To find out more, visit forwardchurch.co.uk or join us on Sundays. What shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? By no means. We died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? Well, don't you know that all of us who were baptised into Christ Jesus were baptised into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death, in order that, just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. If we have been united with him like this in his death, we will certainly also be united with him in his resurrection. For we know that our old self was crucified with him, so that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin, because anyone who has died has been freed from sin. Now, if we died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. For we know that since Christ was raised from the dead, he cannot die again. Death no longer has mastery over him. The death he died, he died to sin once for all, But the life he lives, he lives to God. In the same way, count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body, so that you obey its evil desires. Do not offer the parts of your body to sin as instruments of wickedness, but rather offer yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life, and offer the parts of your body to him as instruments of righteousness. For sin shall not be your master, because you are not under law, but under grace. Thank you, Richard, for reading for us. Um, Do keep your Bibles open at Romans chapter 6. That's page 1132. We'll be looking at that over the next few minutes. Just as we begin, let me lead us in a prayer. Heavenly Father, we do indeed pray that you would speak to us this morning as we come to your holy word, and that you would take your truth and plant it deep in us, and that you would use it to shape and fashion us in your likeness for the glory of your name. Amen. Well, one of my roles here on the staff team is that I'm involved in running our Christianity Explored courses for people looking into the Christian faith. And I've been doing that for a while now. Um, I did it when I was a trainee here, uh, before I started again on the staff team this summer. And uh, something that happens uh, pretty much every time um, is this question uh, that comes up. We get to week six on the course when we look at the topic of grace, uh, which we've been considering over uh, the last few weeks in our services here in the mornings. Um, And we see that the Bible teaches that we don't get right with God by what we do or by what we don't do but 100% entirely by grace, by the gift that he gives us. We see that we are right with God, not because we achieve it, but because we receive it. And then usually this question comes. Someone pipes up and they say, but that's awful. Surely that that means that I can go and live any way I like. And at that point, I'm actually quite pleased because they're getting quite close to understanding grace. 500 years ago, during the time of the Protestant Reformation in Europe, this was one of the big complaints of the Roman Catholic Church. 
They said, teaching grace alone will encourage people to live sinful lives. If you teach that, you're encouraging moral anarchy, they thought. And many people today don't like grace. Uh, They didn't like it 500 years ago, and they didn't like it 2,000 years ago when Paul taught us either. Paul, when he wrote the book of Romans, which we're looking at this morning, spent the first five chapters describing how we're made right with God by grace alone. And so when we get to chapter 6, verse 1, he names the elephant in the room. Have a look. Chapter 6, verse 1, what shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? Some people were clearly suggesting that grace alone means that there's nothing to stop us sinning. But they're going even further than that. Did you notice? They're saying that if every time I sin, God forgives me by his grace, and that brings glory to God, then wouldn't it be better for me to just keep sinning and so that God's God's grace keeps building up and it all gives him more glory? They were saying that sinning is good because when God forgives me, it brings him glory. Now, can you imagine if I stood here this morning and made a similar kind of argument? saying that when we sin, God forgives us, it brings him glory. So we're going to meet at the end of the service at the back of church. Uh, 12.30 is when we're going to leave. We're going to head down to the pub. All of us are going to get hammered at the pub to God's glory because he'll forgive us. Can you imagine if I made an argument like that? You'd be appalled. And so was Paul. Have a look at verse 2. By no means... He says, you've got it all wrong, says Paul. Paul shows us in Romans chapter 6 that grace isn't just how we get right with God. It's the reason we live right towards God. It doesn't just get us right. It helps us to live right. So how does grace enable us to live right? Well, Paul goes on in verse 2. We died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? Or don't you know? Now, let me just pause us there. Or don't you know? In this chapter, uh, Paul is talking about Christians knowing something, knowing something life-changing. He keeps talking about what we need to know. In verse 3, he says, don't you know? Again, in verse 6, for we know. Verse 9, for we know. Paul wants Christians to know something so significant that it will transform the way that we live, and it begins with understanding that we're united with Christ It sounds like a weird idea, doesn't it, being united with Christ? Well, here's what it means. Have a look down at verse 3. Or don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? That simply means that when someone is baptized in Jesus' name, as Samuel was earlier on, it's a symbol of them being so united with Jesus that they share in his death. And that might strike us as a very strange thing. Being united with someone in death means dying. Why would I want that? Well, verse 4 says why. Have a look. We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that, here comes our reason, just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. I'm ready to be united with Jesus in his death because that's the way to be united with him in his resurrection. Earlier on when Samuel was baptized, he was just splashed with a very small amount of water. I think Paul doesn't want the babies to cry. That's why he does that. But traditionally, you may know that baptism has been done by full immersion. Right here this evening, someone is going to be baptized by full immersion. And she'll be lowered right down into the water, a bit like we might lower someone into a grave. It's a sign of dying. And then when she's raised up out of the water, it's a sign of resurrection, of new life. 
So you could think of baptism a bit like this, as, as like a funeral followed immediately by a resurrection. We die with Christ and we're raised with him. Have a look at verse five. If we have been united with him like this in his death, we will also certainly be united with him in his resurrection. And that means I can live a new life. But the question that remains is this, what sort of death did I die and what sort of life do I live? What sort of death did I die and what sort of life do I live? Well, verse 10 gives us the conclusion The death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. So Jesus died to sin and he lives to God. And because we're united with him, so did we. So verse 11 says, in the same way, count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. But we might well be left wondering what it means to be dead to sin and alive to God. So Paul explains Because I'm united with Christ, I've died, and so I'm dead to sin. Take a look at verse 6. For we know that our old self was crucified with him, so that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin. Paul says that before a person becomes a Christian, they are a slave to sin. Sin is like a tyrant that locks them in chains. Sin isn't just some naughty things that we might choose to do. It's a lifestyle that we're locked into. A lifestyle of denying God his rightful place in my life, of pushing him from the throne. For years, I struggled with having a short fuse. Someone would do something I didn't like, and I would get really annoyed at them, totally out of proportion. Usually they wouldn't know because I'd keep it bottled up, but sometimes it would come to the surface and it would cause everyone pain. Now, I could have chosen to continue like that, but I don't have to live that way anymore. That old self, Paul says, died on the cross with Jesus so that sin might no longer control me because, verse 7, anyone who has died has been freed from sin. In the last few years, I've had the same dream on two occasions. Um, I say dream, it was really more of a nightmare. It was pretty harrowing. Now, I'm about to tell you something that for some of you might make you avoid me at the door at the end, but I'm just going to go for it anyway, okay? Um, In this dream, in this nightmare, might as well just say, I kill someone. There you go. You can go and tell people that the curate dreams about killing people, if you like. Um, Anyway, I I kill someone in this dream, and then the reality of what I've done begins to dawn on me. It's awful. I feel terrible. I can't believe what I've done. And then I begin to panic. I think about what it means for my life. The police are going to be after me. They're going to get me. I'll have to go on the run. I'll have to leave the country. I'll have to leave my family and my friends. I'll never see them again. I'll have to leave my job, my house, my belongings. I need to pack a bag. I need to get some money. I'll head to Dover. I'll cross the channel. I'll burn my passport and get a disguise. I'll have to grow a moustache so that no one can recognize me. I've never wanted to wear a moustache. I just don't think it would suit me. I hate (gasps) moustaches. And then I wake up. And for a few seconds, I lie there looking at the ceiling, continuing to believe it's all real. Where's my suitcase? I'm going to have to run. But then it dawns on me that it's not real. And I promise you, I've never in my life felt such an overwhelming sense of relief. Now, that nightmare has given me a bit of an insight, I think, into what it must feel like for people who have actually broken the law. That feeling that at any moment I could be arrested and taken away. But here's the thing. We need to wake up to the reality 
that we really have broken God's law. We've done things that have put us under his judgment, and we can't run and hide. In this country, when a criminal is convicted of murder by a court and sentenced to prison, there's only one way they can get free from the claims of the law. They serve their time. They go to prison. They serve their time. And on the day they're released, they're right with the law. It has no claim on them anymore. No longer can the prison guard tell them what to do. They're free. They're free. But how does a person get to that place, spiritually speaking? A place of being free from the claims and the control of sin. They have to die. Verse 7. Anyone who has died has been freed from sin. We've broken God's law. We face death as a result. But if you're a Christian, someone else has died for you. When you put your trust in Jesus, you were united with him. Verse 6 says you were crucified with him. Verse 5, that you were united with him in his death. Verse 4, that you were buried with him. Crucified, dead, and buried. Do you see? Because you're united with Christ, he's been to prison for you. He served your time. The score has been settled, the debt paid, the law satisfied, and now you're free of it. Free from the claims and the control of sin. Christian, this is your reality. Now live it, says Paul. This passage is all about knowing. So Christian, know that you are no no longer under the control of sin. You don't have to dance to its tune. You're dead to it. If you're a Christian here this morning who feels stuck in a cycle of sin, you need to know that this is still true of you. Verse 3 begins, or don't you know that all of us, this is true of all of us, There aren't two tiers of Christians, normal Christians and then those super-Christians who have somehow broken free from sin. No, every Christian has died to sin. This is true of you and me, but it won't always feel like it. If you feel stuck in sin, then Romans chapter 7 explains that that's a normal part of the Christian experience. Paul says there in verse 18, For I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. You see, Romans 7 teaches us that everything won't change at once. Romans 6 teaches us that we can change bit by bit. Of course, sometimes things can change very suddenly. I met a guy who used to come to church here. He became a Christian while he was here as a student. And before he became a Christian, he had a very foul mouth. But when he put his trust in Jesus, when he was united with him, he found he was able to change. Overnight, he was able to clean up his language. I know other people who have made big changes in their lifestyles, things they had never been able to change before. They found themselves able to walk away from. But more often, and I've known this in my own life, there are areas of sin that we fight against for years with slow or uneven progress. Day to day, it doesn't feel like I'm changing. But when I look back over years, I can see how God's been changing me and enabling me to walk away from sin. As a Christian, being united with Christ means I've died to sin, so I'm dead to it. That's the first thing. And secondly, it means I'm alive to God, and so I can live differently now. Take a look at verse 11. In the same way, count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. That's how I'm to think of myself, dead to sin, but alive to God. 
And therefore, verse 12, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its evil desires. Do not offer the parts of your body to sin as instruments of wickedness, but rather offer yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and offer the parts of your body to him as instruments of righteousness. The key word in verse 13 is offer. Every day you and I have a choice to offer ourselves to sin or to God. This is one of the great things about starting each day with a time of prayer. You can get out your diary and pray, Father, I've got a meeting at work coming up today that I I know it might tempt me to lose my rag. Please help me to offer myself, not to sin, but to you. There's that gossip I'll feel like sharing. Please help me to offer myself, not to sin, but to you. There's that pattern of behavior I'll be tempted to follow. Please help me to offer myself, not to sin, but to you. So can I ask you this? Are you offering yourself to God day by day as someone who has been brought from death to life? That's how to start the day. Not with Facebook or Twitter or the news. Uh, Someone told me this week of a friend of theirs who uh, gets out of bed in the morning and looks at a cross on the wall and says, a life for a life. Jesus, in love, offered his life for us. We're to offer ours for him. When a Christian has understood what the grace of God has achieved, it changes how we live. Grace doesn't encourage sin. It doesn't encourage sin. It removes its power to control us. I've died to sin. I'm alive to God. Now look, it's not impossible for us to live the old life, but it's almost inconceivable that we would. I'm a very happily married man, and so I don't even like to think about what I'm about to say, but here it is. It wouldn't be impossible for me to live like I was still a bachelor. I don't mean just not doing the washing up anymore, but I mean, I could get a taxi down into town. I could go to a bar. I could start chatting up another woman. I could do that. There isn't some invisible force field that would stop me at the door. I could live like that. But if I were ever tempted, I hope that I would look down and feel that ring on my finger and remember my wedding day, that on that day something changed. I promised to forsake all others and be faithful to my wife. And in the same way in the Christian life, in those moments when I'm tempted to sin, well, I hope I'll think back to my baptism and all that it symbolized, that I died with Christ, I died to sin, And I rose with him to live a new life to God. Because when I realize that my old life has ended, the score settled, the debt paid, the law satisfied, I want nothing more to do with it anymore. That's not who I am. My status has changed forever. And I hope I'll preach to myself the words of verse 2. I died to sin. How can I live in it any longer? And those of verse 14... Sin shall not be your master because you are not under law but under grace. And by that grace, I hope I'll choose to offer myself not to sin but to God and that that would bring him the glory he deserves. Let me lead us in a prayer. Loving Father, thank you for your grace. 
Thank you that in Jesus we're set free from the claims and the control of sin, that we're free of it. Please help us to know that this is our reality and enable us to live it by offering ourselves to you every day so that you might receive the glory you deserve. In Jesus' name, amen.